Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning and ask for your blessing. You have been so gracious to us, and yet we recognize that we still need your help. You are the one who sustains us. You are the one who gives us power for every breath that we take, and you are the one who gives us spiritual understanding. We can read your word, but without your Holy Spirit's guidance, we cannot understand it. So, Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit's power this morning. May he be present in each and every one of us, and particularly in me as I speak from your word. We pray that you may speak through me this morning, and we pray that we may all be edified as we look at what your word says about your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I love rags to riches stories. I love ones where someone starts out in a very poor way and ends up in a very rich way at the end of the story. And one of my favourites has to be the Rocky uh, movies, uh, where you see Rocky, Sylvester Stallone, start out as a very poor boxer. He's at the gym and he's not really winning much. And by the end of the movie, I'm going to spoil it for you, but it's an old movie, and if you haven't seen it, well, uh, too bad. He wins the the title. He goes on and he actually wins. And so he goes from this poor boxer to someone with great wealth as he wins the championship. And so I like Christmas for that reason as well. Because Christmas is about a rags-to-riches story as well. Christmas is about the man Jesus Christ. And when we first learn about Jesus' life in this world, it is indeed about his life being one of poverty. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Jesus' life, and then we're going to have a bit of a look at our lives and look at whether Jesus was a true rags-to-riches story and whether our lives are true rags-to-riches stories as well. And so we need to start with Jesus' life when he was born, and we need to look at whether he did start off in poverty And that brings me to my first main point this morning. Jesus was born in poverty. Jesus was born in poverty. And if you want to follow my main points this morning, you can see them there on the back of the church bulletin that you should have received as you came in this morning. I have eight main points. And so you can see them and follow along as we go through this morning. And the first is Jesus was born in poverty. And we saw that from the reading we had from Luke chapter 2. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2 because it would be good for you to have that open before you as we examine what God's word says about Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2, which is found on page 1014, 1014, 1014 of the Black Church Bibles. And we see Jesus born in verse 6 of Luke chapter 2. If you're not used to a Bible, the big numbers are chapter numbers, that's chapter 2, and the little numbers are verse numbers. And we'll look at little number 6. Little number six, where we read, While they were there, that's Mary and Joseph, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Jesus was born in poverty. It's quite clear from this text. How do we know he was poor? He was born in a poor way. Well, he's not in a hospital with lots of machines, expensive machines around him, as my wife was when she gave birth to two children. Uh, She was uh, my two children were born at RPA, one of the best hospitals in Australia, one of the best uh, uh, birthing units. 
And so great riches surrounded my wife and my children when they came into this world. What about Jesus? Was he born in a nice hotel room? Or at least a moving car, an ambulance? No, he was born in a barn because there was no room for him to be born in a hotel or somebody's house. He was born in a barn. And then where was he placed? Was he put in some nice crib that was there or some cot that had been lovingly put together by a father? No, he was put in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. I, even as an adult, wouldn't like to get into a feeding trough for animals, but you think with a baby, you think you want to take great care of it, you want to make sure it's in a clean and healthy place for it to be because it's so vulnerable at that age. And yet it's placed, Jesus is placed in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. Was Jesus born in poverty? Yes, he was. If his parents had had stacks of cash, do you think he would have been born there? No, he would have been born in a much better place. So do matters improve for Jesus over his life? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. Jesus lived in poverty. Jesus lived in poverty. Jesus' parents had very little money, we see, in the rest of their life as well. And immediately after he's born, we see that by the offering that his parents bring. Look with me in chapter 2, verse 20, 22. So over on to the next page. Chapter 2, verse 22, we read, When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses, had been completed, that's Mary and Jesus, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. What's going on here? Well, when a child was born, God had commanded that you had to offer a sacrifice for the mother and because the child was born. And the law was very specific about what should be offered. And what should be offered? Well, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 12, it said if she cannot afford a lamb, she's supposed to offer a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Mary was supposed to offer a lamb. But a lamb is expensive. Although for you, it may not be. You can go out and buy some lamb for lunch today. But lamb was expensive for Mary and Joseph. And so there was an extra condition in the law, if you were very poor, that you could offer what instead? Two doves or two young pigeons. And what did Mary offer? She offered those birds because she was too poor to offer a lamb. So Jesus would have continued to live in poverty with his, with his parents, that they couldn't actually afford a lamb And then we see that Jesus lived in a poor town. If you look with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 39, the next column over in the Black Church Bibles, little number 39, what do we read there? It says, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. How does this show that Jesus lived in a poor way? Well, he lived in a town called Nazareth. Now, you may not know much about Nazareth, but Nazareth was a backwater town that hardly anybody knew about. It was a place where people thought 
it's the wrong side of the tracks. Not that they had tracks in those days for trains, but it's the wrong side of the tracks. It was not a great place to live. Even Galilee, the state itself, was looked down upon as well. And so it's kind of like, I guess, if you're here in New South Wales, you might look down upon Queensland. And then in Queensland, you might look down upon a town out in the middle of nowhere, like the town where I was actually born, Charters Towers. Many of you may not have any clue where Charters Towers is. It's a little mining community out in the middle of nowhere. That's where I come from. Why do people live in Queensland and in the middle of nowhere? Because they don't usually have much money. They have to go there for the mining. They want to go there for the money. Why is Jesus in Nazareth? Because his parents don't have money. And we see that by the way that people react when they find out where Jesus comes from. In John chapter 1, another gospel that talks about Jesus' life, John chapter 1, verse 45, someone talks about Jesus to somebody else, and it's called uh, Philip, found Nathanael, another person, and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he's gone to another person and said, I've found the Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And what is Nathanael's response in John chapter 1? He says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see, said Philip. Nathanael was quite honest and said, can anything good actually come out of that town? It's like saying, can anything good come out of Charters Towers? Maybe I'm a testimony to something good can come out of Charters Towers. But this is a statement about what kind of life Jesus lived. He lived a life of poverty. And he lived a life where he was a common tradesman. He was a carpenter. Which, let's face it, people look down on tradesmen to some extent. They think, oh, you're just a chippy. That's what Jesus was. If you had money, you wouldn't be doing that. And we see that even in the Gospels itself. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, when people are told about Jesus, they say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Why did they take offence at him? Because he's claiming to be somebody and they're saying, who are you? You're a tradie. Why should we listen to you? You're a carpenter. And so they took offence at him. So we see Jesus' life. When he was growing up, he lived a very poor life. And even when he got into ministry and people taking offence at him and he's travelling around and preaching and healing lots of people, how's he being supported? Is he getting lots of people to contribute stacks of money and he's getting more and more prosperous as he's preaching well and so he's getting to be a really famous preacher with lots of cash and he actually starts to get a jet and fly around parts of Jerusalem because he's no longer able to travel in a bulletproof limousine and now he needs a jet. What do we read about Jesus' money in the Gospels? Luke chapter 8, verse 1 says, After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, his disciples, and also some women who'd been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. How is Jesus' ministry being funded? By women. Poor women. Women who've had demons in them. They're now contributing out of their own means to support Jesus and his entourage, his disciples going around with him. 
they wouldn't have been giving him much money because they didn't have much money to give him. He would have been living very close to the line. So Jesus was born in poverty and he lived in poverty. The, the, the Gospels make that clear. But maybe Jesus' life improved later on, particularly towards the end of his life. Well, that brings me to my third main point. Jesus died in poverty. When Jesus died, he was not a wealthy person in death, surrounded by luxury, by big screen TVs, and with expensive medical machines helping to support him and lots of painkillers, very expensive painkillers to make sure he's okay. No, Jesus was crucified, a shameful, painful, cursed death. If you have money, you don't get crucified. It's only when you don't have money that you can't defend yourself that someone actually puts you through that terrible death of crucifixion. And people knew that Jesus was dying in poverty when he died. Flip with me to Luke chapter 23. So same book of the Bible, but many chapters on. Luke chapter 23, page 1046. Luke chapter 23, verse 26. And we'll look a little bit at Jesus' death, how he died, and we can see the poverty of his death. Luke chapter 23, we firstly see women wailing at Jesus' death. People don't wail as you die in this way. If, if people are wealthy around you and comforting you, they aren't wailing at how terrible your death is. We read that in verse 26, little number 26, we read, As they led him away, that's Jesus, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? We see there people know that Jesus is dying a terrible death a shameful death, and they're wailing as he goes. And then we see that Jesus is crucified, not on his own, but with criminals. He's actually put up there with criminals. We see that in verse 32, the very next verse of Luke chapter 23. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. If you are wealthy... You don't associate with criminals at any point in your life, pretty much. And you don't associate with them when you die. But Jesus here is put, lumped with criminals as he dies. And we also see that Jesus has nothing to his name when he dies as well. He doesn't even have clothes to give to others. What do we read the next verse of verse 34 of Luke chapter 23? Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Did Jesus have any money when he died? No. Did he have even clothes? No. They took those from him as well. He had no inheritance to give to anyone. He had no money. He died a impoverished death. He died without any assets whatsoever. And as he died, people actually mocked him. If you're dying and you're wealthy, you don't have people around you mocking you as you die. But that's what Jesus had. What do we see? Verse 35, the next verse. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. 
So we've got the religious leaders sneering at him. And then verse 36, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. The soldiers there are mocking him. And then we see down to verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. What's Jesus got at his death? People mocking him. Religious leaders mocking him. Soldiers mocking him. Even criminals are mocking Jesus at his death. Is that a nice death that Jesus experienced? The death of someone with great wealth? No. It's a poor, horrible, shameful death. And then we understand from what the rest of the scriptures teach us as well that when Jesus is there on the cross, he's not only got the wrath of people against him, he's got the wrath of God poured out upon him as well. As Jesus is there on the cross, cross, his father is angry at him, pours out his wrath upon him because of sinful people. Jesus takes their sin upon his shoulders and bears the brunt of God's wrath. So Jesus dies a terrible, impoverished death. And so I think Isaiah is right in his description of Jesus' death and his life. What does Isaiah 53 verse 3 say? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Is that an obituary that you would like to see on your gravestone? You're a man of sorrows, despised by others? That shows the kind of life that Jesus lived. It was not a rich life. It was a poor life. Well, isn't this meant to be a happy day? Isn't this meant to be about celebrating Christmas? What's, what's worth celebrating in Jesus' life? He's got a terrible life. Well, the thing is, things do get better for Jesus after death. And that brings me to my fourth main point. Jesus lives in exaltation. Jesus lives in great riches because Jesus didn't stay dead. There is life after death and Jesus proves that by coming back to life. And Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 24, I encourage you, if you've got some time this afternoon, you've got a public holiday and you might have, and you've got a public holiday tomorrow as well. Stay away from the shops. They're too busy. Have a look at what Luke 24 says about what happened after Jesus died. Look at what it says about his resurrection. This is a historical account showing that Jesus did come back to life. And he came back in bodily form and appeared to others, even ate with them. There is life after death for Jesus. And it's not just any life. It's not like he's raised to life and then leaves a poorer life than he experienced before. When Jesus was raised to life, he was raised in exaltation. And we see that from the other passage that we've already had read to us this morning, from Ephesians chapter 2. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, page 1156 of your Black Church Bibles. 1156 of the Black Church Bibles. Ephesians chapter Chapter 1, we'll look at firstly. Chapter 1, we see there that Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. He ascended into heaven. And we read that from halfway through verse 19. But I actually read from verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 1. Small number 18 of Ephesians chapter 1, page 1156, where we read, Paul says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe 
That power is like the working of his mighty strength. That's God's strength, which he exerted, God exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And then what did God do? And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. All those people who mocked him at his death, all those religious leaders, all those soldiers, where is Jesus in relation to them now? He's above them in every way. In above every person that has any rank in this world and also in the one to come. And then it continues, verse 22, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus lives in exaltation. Things have improved for Jesus. He started in rags, definitely, in swaddling clothes in a manger. He died in rags. I mean, they took his clothes off him. I don't know how much he had on when he was crucified. But now Jesus is in exaltation. He is high above everybody else and he's in heaven, a wonderful place. Jesus is indeed a true rags to riches story. But why would we celebrate it by having... Christmas Day once a year, a public holiday. Why would we do that? Why don't we celebrate Rocky's life? Why don't we celebrate Cinderella? Christmas Day is all about Cinderella, a rags to riches story. Well, it's because Jesus' story is a true story. Rocky is fiction. Cinderella is fiction. But even more so, it's not just that it's a true story, because you can find other true stories of people in great rags turning to great riches. But this is a story that actually impacts upon you as well. This can be your story as well. And so Christmas is not just about Jesus. Christmas can be about you starting off in poverty and going to riches. And that's what we're going to look at now. To understand how Christmas impacts upon you, you firstly need to understand your, your initial state. And that brings me to my fifth main point this morning. You are born in poverty. You are born in poverty. Now, Jesus was born into worldly poverty. That is true. And you may not be. I doubt anyone here was placed in a manger at their birth. I'm not sure how many of you have lived in Nazareth. I'm not sure how many of you may be tradies. You may think that you're a better person because you don't work as a tradesman. But let me tell you that you are all born in poverty, spiritual poverty, The Bible tells us, well, David confesses in Psalm 51 something that is true of all of us. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We are sinful from conception. We are all born into spiritual poverty. We all have original sin. Adam and Eve, real people in a real garden, committing a real sin, and they are your real parents. You are descended from Adam and Eve. And because of their sin, you have their sin upon you as well. You are born with what we call original sin. And so it doesn't matter how rich you are, you are all born, and myself included, we are all born with a serious disease, a deathly disease of poverty in spiritual matters. And does it improve then for us in this life? 
Well, that brings me to our sixth main point this morning. You live in poverty. No matter how rich you are, you continue in actual sin. There's original sin that you're born in, and then you actually do sin as well. That's why we call it actual sin. And Ephesians 2 tells us that as well. Ephesians chapter 2, the very next verse after verse 23 of chapter 1, which we were reading before, page 1156. What do we read there? Paul says... Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. All of us have lived that way gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature, those sinful desires that you know are in you, how often have you seen them lived out in your life? You've known that what you desired is wrong, but then you've actually done it. That shows a spiritual poverty in your life. You're not just born in poverty, you live in poverty, a spiritual poverty. And it doesn't matter how rich you are, everybody lives that way. Humanists love to think that if we have enough wealth and we have enough education, then we'll actually be able to stop being immoral people. But history shows us that's not true. Rich people still sin. Highly educated, intelligent people, they still sin. And if we look around us at Australia, in Australia, we're one of the most blessed countries of the world. Most wealthiest, most well-educated countries. Is there sin in Australia? Yes. We live in spiritual poverty here in Australia. Wealth, material wealth, doesn't get rid of that problem. So do things get better towards the end of your life? As people get older, do they get wiser and somehow conquer the problem of sin? Well, that brings me to my seventh main point this morning. You can die in poverty. That moral poverty that you're born in and live in, you can die in it as well. And that's what Ephesians 2 verse 3 says, that verse that we just read. says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Objects of wrath. God will put his wrath upon you when you die if you are still living in sin, still living in rebellion towards him. And you will live for eternity in a terrible place called hell where I don't want any of you to go. Where you will suffer for all of eternity in great poverty there. You'll still be in spiritual poverty there. There's no repentance in hell. There's no turning to being good in hell. We get no indication of that in scripture. That hell is a nice place. There is still sin there and you will still sin in hell. So what is the alternative? We're meant to be hearing something happy this Christmas day, aren't we? Well, that brings me to my eighth main point this morning. You can live in exaltations. You can live in riches. God's son deliberately lived in this world in great poverty and then was exalted so that you could live in great poverty but then be exalted as well. What do the next verses say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3? After cataloguing what our lives are like, what does it say in verse 4? But because of his great love for us, verse 4, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God has made you alive. 
You were dead spiritually before. You were impoverished spiritually before, but now he has made you alive. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Remember we just read about Jesus being raised up. Well, who's being raised up now? You. People who are dead in transgressions, you are raised with Christ. Really? Well, if you turn to Christ, if you trust in him. What does it say next? In verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. How are you saved? By God's grace in sending his son and then through faith. You have to trust. The word faith can mean trust or believe. You have to trust. And it's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works that no one can boast. I'm not telling you here this Christmas morning that if you're a good person, if you do what the Bible says and, and come to church and, and uh, be nice to people and, be, and give to the poor, be generous with your money, then you will conquer your spiritual poverty. No, it's only by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by works it says there. It has to be by trusting in Jesus Christ. This is why Christmas is so wonderful, because it's about a story about a Someone born in great poverty, but then moving to great riches. And it applies to us. If we will only believe in Jesus Christ, we can move from our terrible spiritual state to being in a great state with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? In heaven where there's streets paved with gold. What does that say? Like gold is insignificant in heaven if you're using it to make your streets. There's great riches in heaven, but heaven's not just a place where there's great riches in the sense of red stones and, and metal. Heaven is rich because there's no more sin there. There's no more suffering. There's no more pain. There's no more poverty in your body in the way that you're dying and breaking down. Heaven is a rich and marvelous place that you can be in if you will only turn to Jesus Christ in faith, in trusting his death for your sins. That is why Christmas is worth celebrating because so many people have trusted in Jesus' death for them and so the wrath that they deserve for their sins has been poured out on Jesus. Yes, it is a sad story looking at the life of Jesus but it has a great ending. It's the best rags to riches story you'll ever hear and it was the best one not just because it is so marvellous. It's the Son of God coming as a very poor person and then rising to be Prince of the world it involves you. You start poor and you can reign with the prince. You can be princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. So what about you? Jesus lost his rags and moved to riches. Are you still in your rags? Are you still dead in your sins as Paul describes it there in Ephesians chapter 2? Or have you exchanged your rags for robes of righteousness that are given to you by Jesus Christ. And so you're no longer in rags. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. But because you've trusted in Christ, you've turned to him, you now have great riches upon you. And you look forward to your death because you know that when you die, you will go to a far better place. You will be exalted. It doesn't matter how poor you are now. One day you will have great riches. 
Let us speak with our God now. Let us pray with him. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and what it tells us about your son, Jesus Christ. And as we look at what your son endured in this world, we are appalled. But then we rejoice because we see how you turned events around and his death was overturned and he is now sitting at your right hand in heaven. And we rejoice because your word also diagnoses our problem, our sin problem, but then also tells us how we can join Christ, exchange the rags that we have of sin and put on robes of righteousness that are given to us by Jesus. Heavenly Father, we pray that everyone in this room has trusted in Jesus Christ. If they have not, bring them to their knees before you today. May they no longer delay. May they not die in poverty and live for eternity in poverty in hell. But may they live in riches even in this world because they know they are part of your kingdom and they look forward to the riches to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.